Salutations, my cinematic scions, and welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Hunter Cates. And I'm Chris Gallagher. On today's show, we're reviewing Disney Pixar's newest film, Inside Out. Then in special features, enjoy some pontification about animation during Toon Talk. And finally, we'll wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... So, Chris Gallagher, did you happen to use Google on Tuesday, July 7th at any point in time during the day? No, I was binging it up. Well, had you used Google that day, as millions of others did, you would have noticed that their specialty screen was an homage to Iji Shubaraya. Now, who is he, you might ask? Well, he is one of the creators of the original Godzilla. In fact, he did the special effects for that film, as well as about nine others culminating with Destroy All Monsters, at which point he moved on to creating and running the Ultraman series, which was a precursor to Power Rangers. So I really, really dug that. To put it mildly, had you actually been in my presence, you would have been frightened. I transformed uh, anime style into, I went super nerd Saiyan, so to speak. And what I found funny about that is Ultraman is pretty esoteric, I would say, as far as pop culture is concerned. And then you have Google, probably the most powerful corporation in the world, paying homage to it. So that was exciting to see. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way, but as a geek, on one level, I like the stuff I'm into being validated. But on the other hand, I kind of like holding it precious. (laughs) It's my precious. I don't want anyone else to have it. But I think just for that one day, that was something that I was uh, very, very happy to see. Well, that's great to hear, Hunter. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by it. It doesn't seem like it's in your typical wheelhouse, but, uh, you know what I was not happy to see? Hmm. I don't know, Chris. What weren't you happy to see? Well, Hunter, last week, uh, San Diego Comic Con was going on and there were several announcements and one that really just kind of, I, you know, I've been on a roller coaster ride of my anticipation for the upcoming Star Wars films. And it was sort of a a bit down when they announced J.J. Abrams and then skyrocketed up when they announced Ryan Johnson. And now it's teetering a little more down as the at least the rumors have come out at this point that we're recording. Have they? Do you know if they've confirmed? I don't this? think they've confirmed. Okay. It, but let's just assume um, they will. We're, we're going to assume that by now they have confirmed that uh, Colin Trevorrow, the director of Jurassic World, which uh, they're saying that he is likely to direct the last installment, the the ninth installment of the Star Wars saga. And, you know, I'm not really too uh, too excited about that. Now, I find that a little surprising. Is it because it means that Ryan Johnson won't be directing it? Or is it because you just are, don't have faith in Mr. Colin? It's it's both of those things combined. I think uh, I, I was really excited for the prospect of Ryan Johnson perhaps getting to, to direct uh, 8 and 9. Um, and then also, like, Trevorrow, I just don't know if um, – I mean, Jurassic World, it was a movie – that existed and wasn't like a total disaster. And so if those are the, and, and it made a lot of the box office. So if those are the criteria that you need to, um, you know, give him the keys to another franchise, then I guess he's qualified, but I just, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's the right guy for it. Well, what I like about this news is it indicates that they are much like the original series going for a new director for each film. And if Mm -hmm. you kind of parallel it to the original trilogy, you've got, the very commercial director, J.J. Abrams, subbing in for Lucas. You've got the more artistic director, Ryan Johnson, subbing mm-hmm. in for Kirshner. And, of course, Kirshner made the best picture of the series, Empire. And then you have another more commercial director subbing in for, do we even know? I can't remember who did. 
uh, uh, Return I, of the Jedi. This I'll, is a major uh, nerd breach. In, in, I, in, in my mind, it was David Lynch because David Lynch was actually up for it, but that didn't happen. Well, and actually, that would have made a very different film. It certainly would have. So the the reason I'm optimistic, I'm not you know jumping off the ceiling the way I did about the Google. Uh, Google paying homage to E.G. Shubray. The reason I'm cautiously optimistic is because I feel like Jurassic World maintained a uh, the nostalgia plus novelty thing that I've talked about a whole mm-hmm. lot, and so I think that's exactly what a Star Wars picture needs. I I just I wish he maybe they'd given him one of the one offs. You know, not not the not the actual saga series, but one of you know like Rogue One or um, you know those those that are just sort of existing in the universe but not part of the. Uh, the single storyline. Well, speaking of offshoot films, would you like to know what news came out of San Diego Comic-Con that I was not happy to hear? Uh, Yeah, shoot first. Well, yes, exactly. Shoot first. It's the upcoming Han Solo solo film. I, I, I guess it's a prequel. I, I mean, yeah, I didn't, I'm not exactly sure. I honestly, I haven't read a whole lot of the, the coverage other than like the announcement or the, I think this was also a rumor when, when it for, you know, it broke as a rumor before it was announced as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's something sort of, a. I mean, we we might end up with with Chris Pratt p- playing Han Solo after all. Well, honestly, I think I would prefer that to the other rumor of him playing Indiana Jones. But the guy who I think his name was floated around, I believe, was Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. I've not seen Breaking huh. Bad. What? It, I know. I still what? I still haven't gotten around to it. Um, too many dino, dino documentaries. But uh, I have from what I've seen of him, he seems like kind of a Weasley Mousy guy. I would disagree with that. I think he's. Honestly, maybe the most dynamic uh, character in Breaking Bad as far as like the – and, you know, we're talking about a series where a guy goes from a nebbish uh, chemistry teacher to a drug kingpin. But somehow his – you know, his character in Breaking Bad really like had a just the emotional gamut of uh, transformation and struggle and that sort of thing. I um, I don't know. I, I'm not totally like – I, I'm sort of neither here nor there on on that. The thing that has me a bit excited is it's Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who uh, they did Clone High, which is um, a short-lived animation series that uh, probably no one saw. What people probably did see was the Lego movie and 21 Jump Street. Um, and, you know, they're, they, they have an interesting, um, compelling sort of approach to storytelling and a really great fresh approach to comedy, which I don't know how much that would really factor into a Han Solo movie. And Han Solo has some, some nice, you know, little one-liners, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm slightly optimistic about this. I think the, my main thing is I'm just anti anyone else other than Harrison Ford playing him. So I see at this point, I'm anti Harrison Ford playing him now though. Like I'll, I'm, I'm more excited about that, you know, that sort of incarnation of, Han Solo than the Harrison Ford version that's coming out in the J.J. Abrams film. In which case, we're both getting screwed because in yeah. both circumstances, what we don't want is happening. Speaking of things we don't want, I think there's some news that we're both unhappy about. Batfleck. Exactly. So Ben Affleck, who we were not too enthused about him playing the part in the first place, it's now the rumor mill suggests that he will co-write and direct this picture which means that we will have an Academy Award winning screenwriter, an Academy Award winning director, and an Academy Award winning producer helming a Batman film. And yet neither one of us, I think, are excited about this. How ironic is that? I mean, I, I would say I'm more excited than Zack Snyder directing anything. But uh, yeah, it's not, it wouldn't be my first pick. It's definitely not my pick to like 
pull this uh, whole weird DC ship up by its bootstraps and well, get, it, and you get s- it in a good place. Well, and you said Zack Snyder. I would have rather been Affleck kind of be the director who spearheads this because I think he's a good filmmaker, mm-hmm. but I would hope his first act is to recast Batman because that's, I just don't think he's appropriate. He's, he falls on his sword. Yes, exactly. He just... He, or his, his batarang. He, yes, he falls on his batarang and then it turns out he was just a prop and there's mm-hmm. another Bruce Wayne out there. Well, here's something to, to chew on though, Hunter. Maybe with this... We could get uh, Matt Damon as Robin. Doesn't that sound cool? Um, the only way it would be cool is if at some point in time they have the line, how do you like them apples, Batman? Otherwise, I, d- otherwise I don't really see the point. So speaking of San Diego Comic-Con, there are a lot of things that we disliked about it. However, you and I have a buddy who is out there right now pitching his work. That is one Paul Wizikowski, yeah, who created Rexodus, which recently got a development deal. Not j- Excuse me, not just a v- development deal, but is actually being produced. By Dark Horse Comics, yeah, being, being released by Dark Horse Comics. Uh, I've I've actually read the whole you know first series and they're great. They're I mean this is have you have you read or seen any? Of these? I have not have read it, but it? I am familiar with. Okay, this I mean this is, this seems right up your alley because it's. I mean the basic conceit is what if dinosaurs didn't go extinct? They left the planet. So it's about like anthropomorphized dinosaurs in space with weapons and you know driving spaceships and it's this sci-fi sort of thing and. Uh, it's pretty great. I, I really, really like it. I mean, I'm I'm really proud of the guys for... Uh, no, absolutely. And it's in not only Paul Wiskowski, who we know, but it's also spearheaded by a com- local company called Steelhouse. So this yeah. is really a, uh, a a big thing for our area, Tulsa, yeah, Oklahoma. Yeah. So congratulations, Paul and the gang. And and yeah, you know, I'll, I'll link to... Um, they, they have a website for Rexus, so I'll link to that in the show notes and you guys can check it out, uh, buy them. I, I highly recommend it. I think, uh, I mean, I think you can even get them on Amazon right now. So now time for the most convoluted segue in podcast history. So you said that Rexodus was about dinosaurs surviving, which sounds remarkably similar to a picture coming out in November called The Good Dinosaur, which is made by a studio called Pixar, which recently made a movie called Inside Out, which I believe you've seen that recently. Um... Did I see that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then how about you and I delve deep into our cinematic psyche and review Pixar's latest Inside Out. Were we happy? Were we sad? Were we disgusted? Or were we somewhere in between? Stay tuned to find out. I was fearful and angry. I'm Joy. This is sadness. That's anger. What? This is disgust. Uh, and that's fear. Ah! We're Riley's emotions. These are Riley's memories. They're mostly happy, you'll notice, not to brag. I wanted to maybe hold one. What happened? Sadness. She did something to the memory. Is everything okay? I don't know. Take it back, Joy. Joy. Joy, no, Let's wait. Go. The core memories. Ah! No, 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 no. In their first 15 years, Pixar made 10 animated feature films that I would personally categorize anywhere between great and masterpiece. And one that I would categorize as a way to sell toys shaped like cars. They were making films for children, but they were also scoring critical praise. Pixar became known for crafting films with more depth, imagination, and ingenuity than nearly anyone else in Hollywood. They had an impressive run. And then they made another movie to sell even more toys, shaped like cars. With that, and a few of the films that followed, many agreed Pixar had hit a dry spell. They seemed to have shifted their focus from ambitious and wildly original stories to sequels and borderline Disney princess films. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Ah, Hunter, let it go. It's just not Pixar's thing. It was kind of like the time David Gordon Green decided he was just going to make stoner comedies for a while. 
But like Prince Avalanche for Green, Inside Out just might mark a return to form for Pixar. It's the story of an 11-year-old girl named Riley whose family relocates from Minneapolis to San Francisco. It's also the story of joy, sadness, anger, fear, and disgust, the emotions living inside Riley's head, and helping to mold her personality. When joy and sadness are accidentally thrown into the labyrinth known as long-term memory, Riley's personality is thrown into flux. Fear, anger, and disgust are left to guide her decisions, as joy and sadness set out on a journey back to headquarters. Inside Out's director Pete Docter also brought us the 2009 Pixar film Up. Like Inside Out, Up is about two disparate characters unwillingly forced on an adventure together. And like Up, Inside Out has been described by some as a little sad. So Hunter, I'm curious. How do you think Inside Out performs when placed parallel to its Pixar predecessors? Is it a prized picture or a mediocre movie? And furthermore, did it spur on silent sobbing in the cinema? Well, Chris, the thing about Pixar films, and admittedly I've not seen them all, particularly some of the weaker entries, is that they're all basically pretty good. They're all fairly solid, at least the ones I've seen. And as you said, they they kind of span from great to masterpiece. So the thing about Inside Out is I was not expecting it to be anything less than extraordinary, and it certainly was in my opinion. However, to really, truly critique a Pixar film, you have to compare it to the others. And to that point, Inside Out, ironically, didn't give me the feels as Pete Docter's last 2009's Up. I would say as far as just kind of an emotional whirlwind, Up was probably the most effective of all Pixar films. But also when you think about it, Pixar isn't one of those things that isn't one of those animation companies that produces movies that have a really uh, triumphant ending. The, the mm-hmm. characters don't go really high and fall really low. It's more ju- they're more comedies. Whereas Disney's are very dramatic, timeless musicals, and well, and Disney's are more melodrama as well. Exactly, and so th- these are these are in a lot of cases what Disney is doing is taking stories that are a hundred, two hundred years old, and then revitalizing them. Or in the mm-hmm. case of even something like The Lion King, it's Hamlet. Yeah. So they take these classic stories and then modernize them. Whereas Pixar is doing very fresh, innovative, funny comedies. So it's less likely to truly go on an emotional roller coaster with a Pixar film. However, uh, it's it's also equally impossible to not enjoy it. And so I would say Inside Out is probably one of their most clever pictures, I would say. And if anything, and this may sound like ridiculous critique given the amount of recycled junk that we see in cinemas, my one minor lowercase c critique is in some cases it almost felt like it was getting too clever. Does that make sense? I, I don't know if I I don't know if I felt that like there's and I mean, this is definitely a high concept idea that can very easily fall into those trappings. But uh, it, it felt to me like they balanced it pretty well. No, and, and absolutely. I think that uh, it, it just it, it could have gone chaotic, but there were some points wherever it felt like the, the filmmakers were just trying to show off how smart they are, but they didn't fully plunge into that abyss mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. They managed to reel themselves back in. But it, there were points where it felt like it was a little too clever, it was trying to be a little too funny about how it explains certain psychological phenomenon. For instance, they go from the abstract thought to imagination to subconscious, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so it, it almost feels like they looked through a, a, a psychological diagnostic manual and tried to figure out ways to make comedy bits out of it. And even though it was wonderfully well, executed, it seemed a little too clever, but it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I to me, that felt more like working in the genre that they, you know, the the adventure film or the road film or the, you know, that sort of like 
the the you've got these two characters who have been jettisoned from you know their their home essentially and they're trying they're going on this journey to make their way back and so you're working in the mind so it, it to me it felt natural that you would go through all of those things i mean like the abstract thought i thought was just a brilliant way to uh to present that you know as as they're changing in form and shape and you know in in the end become two dimensional I thought they handled it very cleverly and not, not in a like winky way, but in just a like, that was great. Especially, I mean, I, I didn't see this in 3d. I actually, uh, I generally would not say this, but I actually regret not seeing it in 3d. Um, because I, and it's more, you know, with animated films, I, I feel like you get more out of it typically because, uh, like, I mean, up is the best 3d film I've ever seen. Like with those landscapes, you've got the depth. It was just beautiful. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, throwing balls at your face and those sorts of things like you get with other children's movies in 3d. So maybe it's, it's more Pixar movies. I really appreciate in 3d. Um, but yeah, like uh dream productions where they end up at one point, it's, it's basically a movie studio where all they do is they produce Riley's dreams when she's sleeping. It feels like you're just having fun there. Like it, it doesn't feel like it's really pushing the story forward in any way. It doesn't feel like they're really getting any closer to the goal. Um, but you, you kind of stop there for a second and then it jettisons them, you know, on further. Well, let me, let me clarify this because at, at no point in time did, was I taken out of the picture? Did I not enjoy it? It was more along the lines of, and maybe this is just because my brain has been rotted by sequels, prequels, and reboots, but at one point in time, it just did sort of feel like they were trying to go from stage to stage on different psychological phenomena, as I said a second ago, and try and turn it into a comedy bit. And I almost wonder, I'll, I'll put it to you this way, do you, are you ever bothered when watching a picture of you almost think that it needs to stop and breathe as opposed to going from one clever sequence to the next? It almost like a cleverness overload. Uh, yeah, I I think so. I mean, what what you're describing almost sounds like what I get when I watch like a Michael Bay movie, where it's just like it, instead of or clever- a lack or cleverness of it. Well, in, instead of cleverness, it's just like look at this amazingly choreographed action scene followed by another amazingly choreographed action scene followed by you know it's just uh, moving from one to the next. But I I don't know. I didn't really. I don't feel that with. Do you feel that with Pixar movies in general, or is it just really this one that? Well, it's one of those things. My the the case I'm making that or critique I'm I'm making makes it sound like it bothered me more than it did, which it didn't. It's just it's more of a, an overarching thought I had after seeing it. It's almost like a stand up comedy special where all of the jokes organically or theoretically or uh, organically lead into the next, but there's not necessarily an overarching point because it just seems like they're going from joke to joke okay. to joke now this wasn't quite that but it came close to being that and i'm impressed that they didn't go that see i i go think there. i think that's interesting that you bring that up because like as and we'll probably get into this a little more when we get into tune talk when we kind of talk about what we like and what we don't like about animation and what we've absorbed and that sort of thing but something that i like about pixar across the board and that i felt like you know just watching the trailers going into this film there i mean there's a trailer for the minions movie which i think is a perfect example of like that seems like the type of movie where like if i saw that in 3d i know they're going to you know fire rockets or splat something on the screen you know that that sort of thing like the comedy is all uh it's physical comedy it's not very smart you know it's just like going for the raw laugh from children just to get you know well, I mean, and i I've, wouldn't even restrict it to children i think just going from raw laugh to people who like seen 
people get pies thrown in their faces or or a yellow minion in a thong you know it's just there there's a certain level of you know it's it's lowbrow humor i guess it's and and not not in like a three stooges way maybe in a three stooges the recent film that was made by the fairly brothers way um it, and i think pixar does a good job of keeping away from that like let, let's talk about bing bong who is riley's imaginary friend from when she was a child who's sort of been lost in memory. He's just kind of (laughs) roaming around. And actually that was never really explained what he was doing. It kind of felt like he was stealing. And I, I halfway wish that that was explored more. It was looking like he was just stealing memories for whatever reason. Well, I I mean, I think it it seemed to me like he was, you know, this, this memory that is still deep down in there somewhere, but um, you know, he has, he actually has a personality because he, uh, he was a figure, not just an event. So he's sort of roaming around in her, in her long-term memory and, um, you know, trying to find a way to get back in, you know, because uh, Riley doesn't visit him anymore. And, but that's a character that I think in the hands of like a DreamWorks or something like that, that character would have been really, really annoying, really. And he, he was on the border, I would say at, at times, but I thought they did enough to like, they, they didn't, I guess they, they gave him what he needed because of the character that he was representing. Uh, but they didn't go way over the top with him where it was all, you know, he could have just been the joke machine for lowest common denominator jokes. And he really wasn't. And speaking of Bane Bond, something that I've always admired with Pixar is they go for the best voices. There was a time where even Disney was going just after insert movie star here, whoever's mm-hmm. really popular at that point in time. Pixar has always been very disciplined about finding the best possible voicing if they're not a quote movie star and i thought they did a great job here and bean bond's a great example did you know who that was did you recognize it watching so there were a lot of there were several voices in here where i mean i i recognized it there were several in here that i recognized and couldn't identify like as watching it was that irritate you and take you out of it no it it didn't it was actually i think had i been able to identify them it maybe would have a little bit but it was like it, it was more just like I, I can't remember who that is, but that's perfect. Like who, who else I, was it? Um, Lewis Black as anger. Couldn't yeah, I messed um, up that it, too. It was and it was one of those just like I like the voice is perfect for anger. Like it was just like of course you cast this guy. I can't I can't think of who it is right now, but of course, uh, Mindy Kaling is disgust was also great, and then uh, Phyllis Smith is sadness. Who I mean I didn't really watch The Office. Uh, she was she was in the office. I have no idea what her characters are, but she was sadness. And I mean, I think she was maybe the, the most like she was the perfect casting for that. She just, she really uh, got like, you didn't, I, I think you, they could have made sadness really just annoying and really like Debbie Downer. And that's, that's definitely a part of her personality, but it was never pushed to the extent where you're just like, Oh, well, why doesn't, why doesn't joy just throw her off the edge? In, into uh, or why, or for that matter, why didn't sadness just kill herself? Or, or what? Yeah, <laughs> why? Um, but I, I, you know, she, um, I, I thought she was great. Uh, the one that honestly bothered me a little bit was Amy Poehler, and I think just because her character of Joy is essentially Leslie Nope from Parks and Recreation, and so it was difficult for me to detach that because it was so spot on, the exact same sort of. A happy-go-lucky approach. Well, are you an Amy Poehler fan? Yeah, I, I like Amy Poehler. It was just, I mean, it was so close to, I don't know if you you watched any Parks and Rec. Well, but. here's the thing. I would say about Amy Poehler in general, and then I guess Parks and Rec- Recreation specifically from what I've seen, is 
she seems she's only to me she's only kind of funny but she seems like she thinks she's extremely funny and she's she's part of the jimmy fallon school of comedy of you make a joke that's only partially funny but then you start smirking or laughing or breaking character and then looking at the camera and saying, boy, this sure is funny. I sure am funny, aren't that's, I? That's not fair. That's not like for for SNL, sure, maybe. But I mean, for her, her work on Parks and Rec, I think she was great. I mean, she that's a I mean, that's a Stephen Colbert level sort of character where like she is gung ho totally in like I mean, or or a, or a Borat level character where it's like, I mean, you you feel like. I don't I I always felt like Leslie Nope could have been a real person that you know just Amy Poehler had jumped into. Fair enough from what I've seen it feels like quirky for quirky's sake. And so but talking about inside out I she didn't bother me at all in this actually I quite liked her in this. Maybe it's because part of what bugs me about her is like I said that quirky smirk and since she's playing an animated character there is not. Yeah. So maybe from now on she should just star as Joy in all of her uh <laughs> succeeding pictures after this. You're just going to typecast her once once you become that uh that studio head. What about the actor who won't acknowledge us and has put you and me in the friend zone Bill Hader as Fear? Uh, I I thought Bill Hader was great. I mean, he honestly I think he could have gone a little more manic with it. Um, and it, maybe it would have been to the detriment. I, I don't know. Like, I, I like when he gets a little weird with his characters, which he's want to do. I mean, doing like Vincent Price on, on SNL or those, those sorts of characters where he would do these, these figures that were like borderline, like audience may or may not even recognize them sort of, uh, sort of characters, but do them to such a weird, creepy, um, T that, that it was. I don't know. Uh, great. And, and I, I felt like we could have gotten a little bit more of that out of this, but, um, yeah, I, I really liked him one, you know, one of the few, uh, so Amy Poehler, Bill Hader, I, I recognized, um, probably the only other one inside Riley's head that I recognized was actually Paula Poundstone. She just had a a very small part, but I, I loved, I, I loved the little cameo. It's her and, uh, um, Bobby Moynihan are, the two like workers inside long-term memory who are cleaning up and taking they, they it's the, where the triple dent gum is first introduced and they're like, Oh yeah, we just send it up every once in a while just because. Um, and I, I think, you know, even to that, I think I want to say Frank Oz is a, is a voice in here. I think maybe even Bob Balaban, um, you know, they, even, you know, the minor characters, they had, they had a lot of good, uh, a lot of good depth there. Yeah. That, and so, like I said a second ago, that's something that uh, Pixar's always been good about. What is interesting about Inside Out and, you know, me trying to think of it from this level always is that Inside Out has, is probably going to be the second highest grossing Pixar movie ever after Toy Story. However, Toy it, Story, Toy Story. 3. I'm sorry, excuse me, after Toy Story 3. However, due to Jurassic World's tremendous success, it, it hasn't really gotten the attention from that perspective. But it's a huge success. And what's funny about that to me is, as you said, it's a very high concept idea. It's about it's about the idea of emotions actually having personalities of their own. Uh, did you have any idea of the story going in beyond that? Uh, no, I actually hadn't seen a full trailer. Well, no, I, I think I've seen most of the trailers. None of the trailers communicated the story either. It was 100% the concept. Okay. Um, I, I watched my wife watch the trailer. I think I might have caught, you know, a little something on TV, but I went in pretty blind to exactly, you know, what it was. Okay, so even though it's about the emotions and about the emotions trying to get back to, quote, headquarters, mm-hmm. uh, how did you feel about the – it's it's principally about the human characters. It has to be. How did yeah. you feel about that? I, I liked it. I thought it was a great balance between – um, you know, what's going on inside her head and, and relating it to, you know, it's almost like it, it felt like 
you know, a parent trying to create a metaphor for why their child, you know, like when, when children act, you know, in just ways that, that you cannot uh, relate to, like what's going on in there. And, but at the same time, you can also relate all of it to your own. Like um, I, I think that balance of the five emotions um, is absolutely relatable as well. Like uh, just, you know, when, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll get a little, I'll get a little angry and, and then like, I have to calm myself down and be, okay, no, it's cool. Like maybe, maybe you shouldn't have skipped lunch today. Um, and so there's, I don't know, to, to answer your question, I, I think it was great. I think it was necessary. And I thought it, it heightened it, you know, by, by marrying that with such a high concept, um, helped, helped to ground it and then helped to heighten the story to, another level by giving it, giving it stakes that it otherwise wouldn't have had because um, it kind of shows how what's going on there with this little adventure story inside her head is affecting the human being that, you know, it's going on inside of. All right. And, and for those of you know, as Chris mentioned earlier, the story is just a very simple family news to family moves from one city to another. And daughter has a little bit of trouble. Yeah. And I mean, this is, this is daughter on the verge of adolescence, you know, probably partly, I, I think she's like 11. So like maybe middle school age or on the, the cusp of that. And so, um, which I think is the, the right sort of age to set this because you're already, you know, a, a child at that age is already kind of beginning to morph and change and so just gives you a, a almost a loaded gun of of emotions to yeah if anything there probably should have been four or five new emotions just entering in or into her head after joy and sadness left they that might have been a funny scene as the whole as there are a whole bunch of new uh new emotions coming in and trying to join the workforce but my question for you is uh as i said i enjoyed this picture i thought it was very funny very smart and even though it got close to being too clever it never plunged over the edge so I liked it very much, but it didn't really give me a emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Did this movie give you the feels? It did. And it did in the way that a lot of Pixar movies do. I think, uh, so I, I brought up Up earlier. I think Up is maybe the exception for me where it's like, the movies, it, it starts out pretty sad. And so um, to cry in that movie is uh, is not, you know, a phenomenon. It's, uh, it, it's kind of expected. Um, but... The, I think the last time that I cried in a film was Toy Story 3. And that one I could feel coming on a little bit more. Um, and Toy Story 3 has sort of a, a special place for me because really Andy was us, you know, like 1995 when the first one came out, we were about the age of Andy. And then when, what is it, 2010, when Toy Story 3 came out, you know, we were in college by that point, but just, just outside of high school, just into college. Well, and I wouldn't say I was Andy because Andy just put his toys in the closet. I sold my toys for money. So okay. had it been Hunter in Toy Story, I would have been exchanging Buzz Lightyear <laughs> uh, at vintage stock for okay. $20. Well, I, I could I could relate to just that, the uh, you know, the emotional journey with the toy, you know, how it shifted and changed and how like, you know, Andy has grown up. He's growing up into an adult. And so these toys, like he just doesn't have you know, the, the space for them anymore, which actually, um, you know, you, you could kind of relate to, to this and in inside out where you have the little island, you have goofball, goofball Island and family Island and all of these, and which start to fall apart as joy and sadness are gone because, um, you know, Riley is just kind of falling, falling into this emotional despair. She's, um, and, and these islands, I guess I should explain are sort of, uh, she has, 
core memories that kind of make them up and that that uh, help the they're, they're parts of her parts of her personality or what what the islands represent. I don't want to get too technical, but these are called core memories. Each one came from a super important time in Riley's life, uh, like when she first scored a goal. That oh, was so amazing. Each core memory powers a different aspect of Riley's personality. Like Hockey Island. Goofball Island is my personal favorite. Come back here, you little monkey. <laughs> yep, Goofball is the best. So you have this sort of transformation as, I mean, spoilers, they get back to headquarters. Um uh, Spoiler, and, she winds up in therapy and then is eventually institutionalized because she never has joy or sadness anymore. That, that was a Lars von Trier cut. I, I think they that, that might be on the, the Blu-ray special features. Um, but, uh, you know, then then she, you know, starts to build these new island and it's sort of, you know, transformation of personality and kind of had that with Toy Story 3 as well. It's, you know, Andy just isn't, you know, he's not a child anymore. He's he's becoming an adult. He doesn't need the toys. And that really when when he gives uh is it, he just gives Woody to the the little girl. It's been a little while since I've seen it. I, I think that's that's the case. Maybe he gives them all, but uh, it just really really caught me up. And there's a moment at the very end of Inside Out. I don't want to say anything about it. Other, I'll I'll say that there's a hug involved, and it happened and completely un like there was nothing leading up to it. Where it was like, oh no, oh no, I'm fighting off tears. It happened, and then just like, just like silently crying in in between all these children. Well, okay, that okay, that's going to lead to a question that's irrelevant to the movie, but I just want to know. You said you didn't see this in three D, nor did I. You saw this uh, on your own. I did. You didn't yes, take it was the, it was me and just a group of children. All right. Did you have? Were you planning on taking the wife along, and it just didn't work? I out? I actually, I asked her if she wanted to see it. She watched the trailer and was like, "Ah, no, you can go without me." Okay. Here's the thing: is I insisted on taking my girlfriend because I did. I mean, even in a Pixar movie, I didn't feel comfortable going into a kids' movie by myself, so I had to have a cartoon beard. You I, might say. <laughs> and here's the thing: here's the thing: is we went to AMC, and as I'm sure you know, AMC has those uh, reclining chairs. I don't think they have. Have stadium seating anymore it's just yeah, that reclining yeah. crap and so anyway we couldn't get seats by each other anyway because no. so we wound up being you separated by, ahead yeah no there's no plan ahead we were separated by two or three rows and i was surrounded by adults on either side uh, actually seniors which is funny but the entire purpose of going with someone else is so i didn't have to go see a kid's movie and by myself were forced to do it anyway but it yeah it didn't seem to bother you so i was just curious if, no, if you took I'm, a cartoon I mean, beard not, not not the first time i've done it so uh, probably not the last time i'll do it either all right um a perfectly acceptable response to this question is hunter shut up so if you want to say that but just for the sake of discussion do you think a case could be made that inside out is unethical for the following reason is it implies that someone's behavior is being manipulated by something else, little independent characters within their head. And so therefore their actions are not their own. I, I don't think that's what they're trying to do. Oh, uh, no, really. absolutely. Like, this is a kid's uh, movie. I'm uh, way overthinking. I just, well, I, I just mean like to, I, I read it as a metaphor more than anything as a, as a way to explain the unexplainable, um, as far as the complexity of, uh, emotions and psychology, particularly, you know, in this case within the head of a, of a child who's, you know, going through a lot of changes. Okay. So you read as a metaphor. Does that mean that you think this could have not happened? It was all a metaphor. 
I okay, I don't even what how many how, how many layers are we going? <laughs> do, you th- a, do you think these events actually happened or were they just metaphorical? Dude, it's a it's a animated movie. Like I, I said, I a perfectly I mean, acceptable response would be <laughs> "Shut up, Hunter." <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I'm gonna have to go with option A on this. I guess. Okay. Uh, I I. I don't know. I, I don't know what you get. At, I mean, do you have do you have anything to add to that? I don't know what to get out of that sort of discussion. No, of I course. Mean, it's, 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 no, it's a cartoon. Yeah, I mean, okay. quit overthinking okay. it, dude. Jeez. Um, one one thing that I, I would like to touch on. We talked about uh, Bing Bong a little earlier. There's actually a, a moment with Bing Bong that um, could have been like when when it started to happen, I was like, oh, this is going to be a big emotional like pull on the heartstrings sort of sort of thing. Um, and I was, I was pretty, do you know what I'm talking about? I'll, I'll just say it involved the, uh, the wagon, the mm-hmm. red, the, the red wagon. And, um, there's, there's a, I mean, I think we've already spoiled quite a bit. You might as well just tell it like it is. Okay, fine. There's, there's a, a send off of sorts for Bing Bong. Um, and I thought they handled that very well. Uh, very delicately, very like it could have it could have turned into like swelling music and big emotional, you know, whatever. And it was you you had a little bit of that, which I think was appropriate, but it didn't go over the top. It didn't try to just like beat you over the face with sentimentality. Well, speaking of beat you over the face, not, this just occurred to me now that you mentioned it is Bean Bond was a character we both enjoyed a very touching and likable character. However, when you think about it, there's never been a character in any movie who suffered a more uh, consequential and everlasting demise, because not only does he is he dead, he he's dead in memory. The only yeah. place he existed was in memory, and now he doesn't he doesn't exist anymore. There's never been a character who's died more than Bing Bong. Does that bother you? Uh, you know, I I'm gonna say one Bing Bong. He's still got his. Oh no, he doesn't have his bag anymore, does he? No, Bane Punch. He he oh, only because I was, was going to say if well if he had his bag of tricks, I I'm sure I'm sure he would you know have the ingenuity to find his way out of there. Um, I mean because he's got he's got some time. No, but he's dead. He's got I mean, nothing that's... but time. Um, but yeah, he you're right. He started to Marty McFly. So yeah, there's there's some there's some stakes there, man. Yeah, the, again, uh pretty traumatizing stuff. So, um okay, final question. What was your favorite part? Uh you're you're always hitting me with these. I need to start writing these down. I I've got two that come to mind. Um one is there and they're actually both callback moments. One is um you see little Riley. Um I think it's through a memory perhaps uh doing like um, actually, no, I think it's when she's explaining all the islands and she's explaining goofball Island. And there's this memory of young, like toddler Riley, I think running from her dad naked, like through the living room. And she does this little booty shake and there's actually a callback to it. I think it's when she's playing hockey at some point. I can't remember if it's when she scored her first goal or maybe whenever she's, uh, playing hockey in San Francisco, but there's this, I mean, it, it's, you know, really inconsequential, but it was just a nice touch of a, a callback to a tiny moment that uh, I just really, really loved. The other thing was the continual callback of triple dent gum, because um, I mean, that's something I don't know if you you have. No, Yeah, a, we can all relate to that. Um, like there, there's this song that uh, I I would say once every two weeks I get stuck in my head 
uh, called I am downright amazed at what I can destroy with just a hammer. And it's just, it'll just be there for a day, a day or two. And luckily it's not, you know, it's, it's not quite as annoying as a triple dent gum jingle, but um, yeah, I, I loved, I loved the progression of the triple dent gum joke. And to your point about it being a joke is I think that what I like about inside out is it is a comedy. And in many ways, it's kind of like a, uh, stand up set from a very skilled stand up comic who is touching on these various things that we can all relate to and giving them comic purpose. Mm-hmm. And so to that point, my favorite part was a scene that was actually from the trailer or a teaser rather, but it was just as fresh seen in the movie. And not only was it extremely funny, but it was just probably one of the best directed scenes we'll see this year in which the family is sitting around the table and we go into each one of their heads to see their competing emotional mm-hmm. headquarters and the fact that they were able to not only make a scene as funny and effective as that, but also communicate to you, the audience member, wh- who, where each was. At no point in time did you think you were in somebody else's head. You always knew yeah, where you, you were. You knew which one it was based on uh, based on the the way you know you knew who each of these sadness joy exactly and were, so, but who they belonged to as and, well. And so it was extremely skillfully directed, but also the fact that there was just so much truth going on in that scene. What the dad was doing was absolutely honest, the daughter and then the wife, all of it was truthful and honest, but also extremely funny, which is where the best comedy comes from, which is, of course, a place of honesty. So I, I would say that uh, you certainly recommend this film. I know I recommend this film. However, once we see it in the comfort of our own homes, what do you recommend that we drink? Well, uh, as with the Goonies, I felt it was only appropriate to recommend a beverage that could be enjoyed by all ages. Uh, so I put out a call for soft drink recommendations on Twitter and Facebook, because let's face it, I know a lot more about beer than I do about Sodi Pap. So luckily, friend of the show, Jacob Graves, was quick to chime in with a local favorite from his home state of Louisiana, and then a few others backed him on the endorsement. So I decided to give it a whirl, and I must say it was pretty darn good. But I think I can make it even better. So my recommendation is not just another root beer, but a root beer float made with a beta root beer. This carbonated concoction is a product of a beta brewing company, which is located in the Piney Woods just north of New Orleans. They proudly make it with spring water and pure Louisiana cane sugar, and it has a sweet vanilla flavor and the faintest licorice finish. Uh, Pick up a six-pack and a half-gallon of your favorite Listeria-free vanilla ice cream and treat your sweet tooth. That's a beta root beer by a beta brewing company. You know, Chris, I was kind of hoping that you would recommend a very strong beer so you can imply that you would manipulate all your emotions to think that there's something else. For instance, anger and sadness would probably be more pronounced uh-huh. the the heavier the drink. So I'm a little disappointed that there wasn't a, a genuine liquor or beer in this okay, recommendation. Well, I, I can shoot from the hip real quick. I don't I don't know if this one's available right now, but a local brewery Prairie, who I've uh, I think I've recommended a few of those on the show, they make a uh, tequila barrel aged stout called pirate bomb. So if you really want, I mean, tequila is something that's going to make you mean. So, uh, you know, age of beer and tequila and in, you know, you're, you're going to get, I can still get my recommendation in, but you're going to, you'll maybe get a little, it's, it's not, honestly, it's not my favorite beer, but I don't love tequila either. So if you want to manipulate your emotions, then go with tequila infused beer. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could give your, give your kids this, uh, delicious abita, root beer float, and then and then take the pirate bomb yourself. Well, wonderful recommendation, Chris. I appreciate that. Inside Out is currently playing in theaters everywhere. So if you've seen it, tell us your thoughts or feelings at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave a voicemail. Or just sing the Triple Dent Gum theme song to us. 
at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. And speaking of gum, stick around. We'll be back after the break to have an animated discussion called Toon Talk. Baby girl, I want to give the world to you. Every father has his chance to fail. Every father has his chance and fails. All these things I pass through blood and dreams. I'm leaving you. Hopefully, if I get one thing right, it's knowing that I never let you down. So Is there any genre of film, or perhaps I should say genus of film, more cinematic than animation? Nowhere are the parameters of the possible more flagrantly flaunted than animation. In animation, anything can happen and be believable. Wabbits outsmart hunters. Toys talk. Sound can be seen, and as we've just discussed, emotions can have personalities all their own. Being giant man-children, Chris and I harbor a deep affection for animation. But cartoons aren't just kid stuff. Animation is a medium whose contributions to not just cinema, but our very culture, simply cannot be contained. So today, Chris and I will dabble in some Toon Talk, discussing our personal histories and preferences in animation. So Chris, I'll start off with a complex quandary. Do you critique cartoons in the same way that you do live-action films? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I uh, there are so many things that I look for in live-action films as far as, you know, cinematography and performances that you just you don't have in animation you have you have things that are i guess comparable but very different okay then uh part b to that question do you look at animation films do you try and see it from the perspective of a child or are you still looking at it as an adult yeah i i try to not look from a child's vantage point i mean because if i think if an animation film is good it doesn't need that well, have you gone back to watch any of the pictures you saw as a kid and probably enjoyed as a kid as an adult? And I, and have they changed since then? I, I have and they have. Actually, you know, on my, my last recommendation uh, for the last episode for Batman and the Animated Series, um, I did that as my Friday featured flick as well. And I talked in that a little bit about how that's one of the few cartoon shows that I liked as a kid that still holds up as an adult. I think I appreciate different things about it. It's not just holding my attention, but there's actually craft there that I didn't notice as a kid versus something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or G.I. Joe, which I've seen a couple of as an adult and really don't hold up. Yeah, I would say the the appeal of Batman, and we've spent plenty of time talking <laughs> about that. Going to digress <laughs> exactly. But anyway, I think the appeal of that show is that now we liked the same things we did as kids. We're just able to articulate it better, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, articulate the craft. So you and I are actually quite fortunate, and people in our uh, age block are fortunate, because we grew up not only during the dawn of Pixar, but then also the second golden age of Disney yeah. from about Little Mermaid to, I guess, say Hunchback of Notre uh, Dame. Yeah, I, I guess if you want to group that. It's definitely before it gets to Hercules, I would say. Yeah, so what are some of the more solid entries in that block for you? I mean, for me, Little Mermaid is definitely one, which that's one that as an adult reads totally differently. Like that movie, that movie's weird, man. Like just the structurally and um, I don't know if I've ever told you the story about 
uh, like Ursula just scared the crap out of me as a, as a kid to the point that we went to like a, we went to Disney world when I was maybe six and we went to like, it was sort of like a little mermaid song and dance sort of thing. And Ursula's on stage and they're doing, you know, sort of the uh, whole new world, all that. No, sorry. That's not, that's Aladdin. Um, they're doing the, uh, what's the one with the old, uh, the crustacean. Gosh, I'm uh, under the sea. They're, they're doing under the sea, doing all that. And I'm like beginning to panic because I'm like, they're going to get to the point where Ursula gets huge. And when Ursula gets huge, she's going to smash us all in this theater. <laughs> um, yeah. See, the thing is, I was never afraid of Ursula just because minus the tentacles, I think I have relatives who look and act like Ursula. So it wasn't that frightening to me. I can actually top you on the embarrassing scale is out of all the Disney pictures, all the really cool ones. The one that appealed to me the most as a child was, and you know, I'm a little, I'm a little boy. The one that appealed to me most was Cinderella. And what, and here's the thing that we can say about all the Disney pictures is the cat falling out of the castle and dying because mm. the cat wasn't evil. He was just, you know, he was, yeah, he yeah. was just kind he, of a dick. But so, but the cat dying, it just really upset my sensibilities of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And like I said, all the Disney movies, the villains die and horrific ways particularly the earlier stuff or the stuff i mean i think um by the time it got to you're saying the the second golden age mm-hmm. which i i think is absolutely accurate but it, it gets a little cleaned up by that point i i disagree I, there's think? there's even been cracked articles about it i mean I, let, let's go through the list ursula is impaled by a boat um the bad guy in rescues down under falls off a waterfall that messed with me yeah a uh, scar in Lion King is consumed by a bunch of ravenous hyenas. Uh, Quasimodo, the uh, I can't remember that character's name, but he fell essentially into fiery hell. Mm-hmm. So, oh, uh, Gaston in Beauty and the Beast falls off a, a castle and is impaled. So I'm afraid, okay. no, it's it, it's all There's- pretty vicious. And then, of course, uh, uh, Bean Bond disappears from existence entirely. Right. But that's a different. But that, move. but that's not that's not Disney Animated Studios. That's that's right. Pixar. Um, but I guess in, in other forms of like, I mean, I think about like Peter Pan, which, uh, is another movie that revisiting as an adult, um, it, it wasn't quite as much of a shift for me, but a, like, I did not realize how racist parts of that are. Like, I mean, the, the whole, what makes a red man red song is, it would not fly today. Well, it's and then not, also, yeah. Dumbo with the black crows. That was yeah. pretty touchy. Uh, and, but then you've also, I mean, you've got, you've got little children smoking a peace pipe in uh in Peter Pan which just would not end and Captain Hook smoking constantly you know sometimes out of multiple cigars at, at the same time on a the, um, the FDR thing yeah, yeah 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 um and and then you've got you know a movie that maybe I'll talk about a little bit later the great mouse detective they're they get drunk in that movie like and that that was made in the the mid 80s um but i i feel like post that you don't have a whole lot of I, I maybe it's just alcohol and tobacco like you they they clean that up a bit. Well, why even wait to talk about it? You uh you and I have discussed about the Great Mouse Detective off mic cuz that's what grown men do is talk about cartoons. I actually last year this time last year was revisiting a lot of Sherlock pictures re- mm-hmm. rewatching or seen for the first time. I actually think the Great Mouse Detective is weaker Sherlock, weaker Sherlock really? translate. Yes. Okay. I do because the mystery just it, it, the, his detective skills were just not fully pronounced. It seemed a little lightweight, to be frank. Wow, man, I love I love the great Matt. Like I I think we've I don't know if we've talked about this on mic, but definitely off mic. I I think it's my favorite Disney film. 
like which is a little contrarian i i understand now is um, it your favorite would you say it's the the greatest or it's just your favorite it's my it's my favorite i'm not going to say it's the greatest achievement i mean i would say i don't know where where i would fall there uh i mean cinderella for its time definitely pretty pretty fantastic and i, I mean uh probably lion king from our childhood is mm-hmm, is probably block, i think yeah. the the best you know sort of and um I don't know. Then something like Fantasia, which is just, I mean, talk about a movie that scared the crap out of me as a kid. Like that, that movie just, there were, there were things that I just fully did not understand and would just sort of cower, you know, like behind a pillow while watching, um, to the, to the point that I begged my mom to sell it at a garage sale. See, that's fascinating to me because Fantasia, I would say then and now, well, then was Cinderella, but now I would say is uh, my favorite, partially because there's a dinosaur scene in it. <laughs> I I really want to revisit it. I haven't seen it since I was a child. No, absolutely. I think you need to rewatch it. it, it the movie wound up bombing a little backstory. Walt Disney wanted to do this every 10 years or so, but mm-hmm. it was com- a complete bomb. However, just the idea, the, the audacity of trying to animate sound mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is just so beautiful and brilliant. It could have gone so completely wrong. And you have the most powerful voice in animation doing something that blatantly experimental. I just not only do I love the finished product, but I love the thinking and the the idea behind it. And of yeah. course, there's dinosaurs. Right, right. Um, but uh, but at the same time, I can completely see where you're coming from. It is a little creepy. I don't think I was ever ter- terrified of it, but it, there are some creepy parts to it, which you know I kind of like. Um, but you know, the landscape isn't just Disney films. I mean, we we were just talking about a Pixar film, which is started actually apart from Disney, and then kind of has become it's it, it functions independently even though disney's sort of its parent um but there's there's a lot beyond that like um i mean one that comes to mind for me that i actually didn't uh have any relationship with as a child maybe partially because they were a little more difficult to even you know get a hold of and see when when we were kids are the the studio ghibli movies you know a lot a lot of them directed by hayao miyazaki but um some of them also not uh well yeah i, w- I would agree with that about them being it's not just a matter of them being difficult to get a hold of kids they're not for kids which i think is the big difference between mm-hmm. japan and america and mm-hmm. uh, is that in japan animation is very much just a, a, a it, it's where it, it's where truly outlandish ideas for even more adult <laughs> Yeah. oriented fair go to live whereas yeah, in america yeah. animation is still very much kids fair. Well, and, and john laster was really big in getting ghibli stuff released by disney in america and with uh you, you were talking about voice acting in the the last in the review of inside out um they got you know great people great american actors to uh, and and movie stars to uh, you know, voice the American dubs of, of these. So they weren't just a lot of times when you, you see a Japanese movie dubbed into English, it, it could be a little rocky, like, or particularly, I mean, TV shows, I think are even worse. Um, you know, you have, you have the, the hardcore anime fans who will say, Oh, well, you have to watch with subtitles. You can't, uh, you can't watch the dub version because you don't get, you know, you're missing emotion. Um, and I would argue that with the Disney releases of the Miyazaki films, the the voice acting is great. Yeah, I'm of the opinion, and you know, this is a, also something articulated by Roger Ebers, all animation's dubbed. So whether it's in the original yeah. voices or new voices, it's all dubbed. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's perfectly acceptable. One of my, actually my far and away favorite Hayao Miyazaki film, and probably one of my favorite all told, is uh, Princess Mononoke. 
And it was also he, the very first my, one I saw. You yeah. stole my pick. It was, I, I think the first thing I saw was Spirited Away, which uh, pretty good. Um, it was a, maybe a deep dive into the world of Miyazaki. Well, as, as was Princess as, Mononoke. It's, it, it's, but then again, I, in many ways, I think they're all deep dives. They're yeah, all equally a- outlandish and outrageous, but, but wonderfully so. I, I absolutely agree with you though. I mean, just the, uh, well, it's for one, it's a strong heroine character who just like i mean kicks ass and leads an army and is great and and like uh but just a it's something that you don't really get out of american animation and here's one thing that i'll say and i don't mean to say the a word but anyone who really got something out of avatar beyond just the visual the visual pleasure of anyone who got something out of the avatar story i would recommend highly recommend seeing princess mononoke because it's in the same conversation i think but princess mononoke just does it so much better and more Mm. vividly i would totally agree with that and i mean that's sort of miyazaki's shtick in in some ways i mean definitely not the only film where he does that uh uh, the Valley of the Wind, also a, you know, sort of parable of the same sort. Um, it, you know, the one Miyazaki film that I just never been in, and I think it's a, honestly more a children's film, um, would be My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, I was just getting ready to say that, I, that I, it did I, nothing I don't get for it. me. I, I don't understand. Like, that seems like, uh, to say that it's like the cars might be a little uh, rough, but it seems, I don't know, it it seems like it's more of a children's film more like they made an iconic character that can sell plush toys see i i think it was one of those things that with with Hayao miyazaki i think the idea came first the art came first but then they realized we could make money with this you mm. know so god bless him for it in many ways what that's kind of the funny thing about the film business even in japan is those plush toys may keep studio ghibli alive mm, yeah, that's at least other... at least they're more recent fare because this this just goes to show the difference between japan and american audiences is in japan princess mononoke highest grossing movie there ever beaten by titanic surprisingly <laughs> then that was beaten by spirited away and i believe the number one grossing movie there do you want to uh fancy a guess no idea frozen huh frozen is a insanely popular in japan because they're really into that fantasy idea yeah it's, yeah. it's really big there interesting so I, yeah just not regarding Hayao miyazaki and then japan in general just the, their relationship to animation is so much different than ours it's just fascinating to to think about Okay, I I have one more in the the anime genre that I'd just like to give a not tip of the hat to because um, I I think it's so well done. It's actually not not a film but a series uh, which I th- I've mentioned once before, uh, Cowboy Bebop, uh, which was a sort of limited run uh, anime series. I think it ran for maybe thirty two episodes or so. Actually, I mean, sort of almost what you know, like True Detective and American shows are doing now. Like it had a single story. You know, it wasn't made to go on infinitum but it had a single story it was telling it told it and then it was done and just a beautifully beautifully animated show uh uh, the the characters are great i mean one of the things that kind of bothers me from time to time about uh anime television shows is you get a little bit of the goofy like comic relief like arms flailing uh, you know, sort of like, oh my gosh, ah, you know, you know, what right. I'm talking? and you, you have a little bit of that in, in the Ed character here, who is this, uh, child hacker, but, um, it's, it's a great, it's a great story. It's actually borrowing a lot from, uh, sort of classic, uh, world cinema in, in several ways. Um, and, uh, just a, I mean, if, even if you don't like anime, but you like animation and, and that sort of thing. I, I think you'd really dig this. I mean, it's sort of a noir, 
um, a noir set in space with uh, bounty hunters who maybe aren't great at. Th- I mean, they they get their asses kicked a lot. All right, Chris, I had no intention of this going in, in this this conversation going in this direction, or even really did it even occur to me that it could go in this direction. But you've given me no choice. Were you into Pokemon as a child or as a young person? I, I mean, I played a little bit, but no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that I was ever into it. I wasn't like a fanatical. I, I never had to catch them all. <laughs> well, I, I, I never, I never tried to catch them all. I watched the show for maybe a month, and then I was into Digimon because Digimon's more like Godzilla because it's giant monsters fighting each other. I was into that for about a year. But true story, I had a buddy from middle school who was so good at playing Pokemon, he won a, a several local tournaments and got to won a trip to Hawaii to play it. But true story, he just... Dis- where, hey, where is this going? B, is this the video game or the card game? The card game. Okay. So he won a trip to Hawaii, but whatever happened, I guess he turned. He was 12 and he turned 13, he just decided that he despised Pokemon. And so he gave up that trip to Hawaii. Maybe Joy got lost in long, long-term memory. Something like that. Yeah, Joy got lost in long-term memory and he passed up a trip to Hawaii. Okay, so I'm I'm completely sorry about that. I didn't anticipate us talking about it, but I just had to know because I realized that we've never had the Pokemon talk. Okay, you've taken it kind of down to the bottom of the barrel, particularly for, you know, Japanese animation. So I'm going to raise us up a little bit, take us a little art house. And have you seen the uh, – this is an old from, you know, silent film era um, animated film called The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. Now, those are the puppets, correct? Uh, it, it's it's shadow. It's then we watched like, that in class, I believe. So that's where really? I saw it. Yeah, I okay. Believe we, I, saw it. we, I, I, you were, you were the the following year. We didn't watch it in mine. Um, I only, I only saw it within the past couple of years, but uh, loved it absolutely. I mean, what? So you, you have seen it? Yes. Okay. What, what were your, what did you think about it? I, I, I was just, it was, I, it was I, I don't, okay. I did, Well, I don't know what else to say about it. I was just, I was impressed by it. It, it clearly took a lot of work and it retained my attention. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think for me, part of it is just the, uh, the ability there's, there's a lot of ingenuity there. I mean, these, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's basically animation through paper cutouts. Um, so uh, think, I guess maybe, maybe like South Park, but just, I mean, this is black and white, you know, it's basically you have silhouettes, uh, and silhouettes animated in, in, in various ways, but, uh, really there's some pretty complicated, intricate sort of action scenes and that sort of thing, uh, that I, I just really impressed by, I mean, it's, it's something that I would love to see that sort of style approach today. I mean, because it is, it's a very, I'm sure it was a very time consuming, um, uh, effort and it, it very, but very inventive, very, that's, I think that's the thing that I like about animation is it's not just stuck to, you know, one sort of, it, it's not, uh, classic Disney where it's, you know, just drawing on, uh, on cells or Pixar where it's computer animation, you know, there's, there's so many facets, so many ways that you can approach it. Um, and even, uh, are you familiar with Don Hertzfeld? I actually wasn't planning on talking about him, but, mm. um, I know he, Don Bluth creator of Rockadoodle and long <laughs> before time, of course, but no, uh, he does these really, they're, they're, you know, animation that's not much more than pencil drawing. Um, the, uh, probably the, maybe the most famous thing that he's done was, uh, it was like, I don't even, I can't remember what it's called. All I can think of is, uh, I have a banana and my anus is bleeding. Those are two little bits. Uh, does, does this ring a bell for you at all? I'll, I'll link this I mean, up not from the, a movie, maybe from college, but not well, from it's, a movie. It, it's like a short film. 
Um, it's it's these little bitty. Yeah, it's, it sounds it from personal experience, maybe, but I don't think I've ever seen a film about this. Well, he had uh, actually had a uh, short at Sundance this year that was a big, uh, big hit. I think it's called The World of Tomorrow. I haven't seen it yet, um, but he he's got a movie on Netflix that's sort of three uh, three pieces, three little short pieces put together. Um, I'll link to that. I'll link to the um, the other one, which the name I I can't. Uh, can't think of, but he, it's just, he has a very minimal, uh, animation style, but he does so much and he gets to, uh, a very emotional core with it. I feel. Well, Chris, this conversation could easily go double or triple our normal special features time. So I think given we are going to review other animated pictures in the near future, I think we should probably say, wait for part two, because we haven't even talked about Warner Brothers, really. And that's a whole nother, another uh, conversation. So I'm going to say that that's all folks. That's all folks for right now. Even though our conversation has been briefly paused, we'd still like to know what you think. What is your favorite animated film? Let us know at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Stick around for our really rad recommendations coming up next. All right, Hunter, it's recommendation time again. And seeing as we've talked about animation, you could really take this anywhere. So what do you have for us today? Actually, my recommendation today employs stop motion animation. And it's kind of a threefer, but I'll start with the one that I absolutely recommend with a capital R. It's one of my favorite films and also probably the movie that more than any other defined me as a film goer. And that's the original 1933 King Kong um, I recently rewatched all three of the King Kong pictures within succession, and the 1933 one is still, of course, the masterpiece of the bunch. I can't recommend it highly enough. I could I could talk about it for the length of several shows, so I'll just say you need to watch that, particularly on the best edition you can get. It's still it's still just so novel and breathtaking and bold. I love it. I also rewatched Peter Jackson's King Kong. I haven't seen it in about eight years, and I texted Chris while I was watching it and said. This hasn't aged well. I was a little premature in that. The first hour has not aged well, and Jack Black has not aged well. So when you watch King Kong, do what I did. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I skipped about 30 minutes. You should, can skip the entire first hour. Just get straight to Skull Island, because once they're on Skull Island, the movie's a masterpiece. So just go straight to Skull Island. If you still love the story and you still need more King Kong in your life, then go to Amazon Prime because currently they have King Kong 1976 for free. Um, it, it The movie gets an unfair rap. It's not good, don't get me wrong, but it's not as bad as you've been led to believe. And it's also the only on-screen pairing of Jeff Bridges and Charles Grodin. So it's valuable for that. So my recommendation is King Kong, all three of them. But if you can only have enough energy and affection for one, go with the original. But if you're really lazy, go with the 76 Version. The 1976 version, yeah, because it's it's free. 
Okay. Well, uh, my recommendation, we've, we've already talked about it. It's the great mouse detective. It's on Netflix right now. I mean, this movie, it's like 71 minutes, 72 minutes long. Um, I don't care what Hunter says. I love this movie. I, uh, I mean, Vincent price as a giant, massive rat people. Um, it's, it's great. It's, uh, you know, it's just before the, uh, new golden era of, of Disney. I think a lot of people do, uh, kind of talk bad about it as, as from that, um, the, the time when they were making the lost weekend, you might say of, yeah, of Disney. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. I, I like it. I've seen it as an adult and I think it still holds up. It's, uh, it, it's, it's fun. Great little Sherlock Holmes, even if it doesn't meet Hunter's uh, standards for what Holmes needs to be. Yeah. It, it, it's one of those things I've been, I've been a little unfair to the great mouse detective just for the sake of comedy, but I would say Basil of Baker street is his, his personality of like getting, being really enthused and energized about mm-hmm. a case. It's still really fun to watch. And it, it's something you don't get from a lot of shit. Well, when you give cocaine a to a Holmes. mouse, it's uh it goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And I've done that. Okay. But that that's my recommendation. It's uh streaming on Netflix right now. Um, I'm sure you can rent it other places, uh, put links up in the show notes. So, uh, check it out. I mean, it, it it's going to take you an hour and some change. So I, I think it's totally worth it. Well, that's a wrap for another animated episode of war starts at midnight. Check us out online at war starts at midnight.com where you can sign up for our brand new newsletter, the midweek memo. It's filled with recommendations, news about upcoming episodes and exclusive articles written just for you. Go sign up for it right now. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr at WSAMPod. And if you like the show, help us reach new listeners by reviewing it in iTunes. Music in this week's show comes from Sam Means. Find more of his music at music.means.am. Tune in next week for a special short round review of Chris's war crime, Federico Fellini's La Dolce Vita. Thanks for listening. Adios, my animated minions. Adios, my animated minions.